following is a message from Living Waters Church in Elk River, Minnesota. For more information, visit livingwatersmn.org. We are in a series right now on We Believe, and so we're talking about the different things that we believe, and more than that, I believe we're receiving a fresh gift of faith yes. as we establish these different things, the, the crux or the, the foundation of what it is we believe. It's not just to be able to articulate it or to say um, what it is, but it's that I believe we're receiving a fresh confidence, a fresh gift of faith, and even as Pastor Dave was talking about, a fresh consecration to these beliefs, to these things that are the foundation of our life uh, as Christians, the foundation of what it means to be a believer. Today, I want to talk about one of the um, most used words as believers. We would, most of us, would describe ourselves, when we say we're a believer, we would say we're saved, right? So we would, or we maybe would if sometimes we'll be talking with someone and, and we, we might say, well, well, when did you get saved? And it's not, one of the things I was looking into, because there's some words in the Christian language that we just kind of adopted and we create this language around our system of beliefs. It's like a culture. And there's some words that maybe aren't necessarily necessary. But when I looked into, is the word saved just kind of a Christianese term? I really couldn't escape the fact that the Bible uses this term constantly. And so I've become, I'm sure you're not worried, but I've become okay with the term. And I really believe that this is a way that we can define what has happened in our life from the point before Jesus came in and our belief in him and what's the result of that is, which is, I am saved. But I think we need to be able to describe to people what that means. R.C. Sprout, I think, I think that's who I read that from, at one point he was out on the street and some very zealous young man came up to him and he said, are you saved? And he said, he already knew the Lord, but of course the the man didn't know that. He said, saved from what? And he went, uh, I, I don't know. And so I think it's important for us as believers that we can say, what what is it that we mean when we're talking about salvation, when we talk about being saved? Not only that, but that today I felt like everything in our worship today was about connecting to the joy and the reality of what that means. I think as we can go on in years in our uh, relationship with the Lord, in our, the number of years that we've been a Christian, we can sometimes become so focused on other aspects of what it means to be a Christian that we forget the awe and the wonder and the mystery and the beauty of what it means to be saved. That there is something so amazing about that. And, and so I want us to reconnect to, to that today. I want us to reconnect to the joy of salvation and that the response from us would be more of what we experience today during worship 
this gratitude and this joy in, in the fact that we are saved. So one piece of that, and the Lord spoke this in the prayer room this morning, and it just kind of came alive in me. Today, I want you to connect to the fact not that he is the Savior, but that he is your Savior. That there is something in us that sometimes can create um, the Christian life as this ideal. Yes, he's the Savior. These truths are, are true about him. This is who God is. But today, I want us to connect is to the fact that he's my Savior. He is your Savior. This is the truth of who God is to you not just out there in his nature, but this is true in your life. This is true that he is this for you. And so I'm asking, Lord, I'm talking to him now, I'm asking you, Lord, to make that real to us, that you would come with a revelation of what it really means that you did this for us, that you have come, and it's so much more than we even know. We ask that you would show us the more of salvation, not because it lacks in any way, but because we're just not always seeing the fullness of it. We want to see the fullness of salvation. We want to experience the fullness of your goodness in that and to give gratitude to you. So we ask that you would come and reveal that to us by your Holy Spirit. Okay, so <clears throat> to that question, saved from what? There's, there's a, an aspect of salvation that you may not, I don't think, you may not hear us talk about that much. Um, and so you might wonder if we believe in it. And that is the reality that we are saved from hell. That hell is real. That we believe that hell is real. And now there was a day and age that hell, or being saved from hell, was the main selling point for salvation. How many of you, if you, you don't have to raise your hand, but if you'd like to, how many of you responded to the gospel because someone presented to you the, the uh, reality that you would go to hell apart from Jesus? Okay, so that, that there, was, there was an initial response that said, you, if you don't have Jesus that you're, um, at the end of your life, this is the penalty for that. And I want us not to be confused. We believe that hell is real. We believe that, and we believe that because the Bible talks about that. I, um, part of what's fun about this We Believe series is I'm going in and I'm questioning everything in a good way. Not in a scary way. Don't be scared. Everything's good. But I'm going in, I'm going, okay, well, does the Bible talk about this and how does it talk about it? And to some degree, I kind of wanted to set hell aside and say, you know, well, it's not really, but, but the Bible does talk about it and Jesus talks about it, that that is a real thing. What's different maybe a little bit about how we approach that is, is that we don't believe that that's the prime selling point for salvation. And I can't say that the Bible demonstrates that this is the way that we're meant to present this. That there is something that's true about that, but that it's not really the tool to use to scare people 
into coming to salvation. And that there are other things that the Lord wants us to present in salvation. Not to say that we don't ever present that, but it's just not the one we're going to focus on a whole lot. But what it does do, and this is something my dad said uh, when we were talking this last week, he, he talked about that really hell is not the thing that we would present to scare people into coming to Christ, but our belief in the reality of hell should motivate us to share the gospel. That for us that believe that we need to be saved from that destruction, that should motivate us to, to share the gospel. And so we do believe, I just want to make that clear, we believe that that's real. Matthew 10, 28, this is Jesus speaking, and he says, Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. And so there's other places throughout the Gospels, there's other places that this is talked about in the Bible. It's just not the main thing that we focus on. In fact, the concept of hell is really synonymous with what I would say, this is kind of the, as I'm looking at what, what is salvation about, the thing that I feel like has come the most front and center that we're saved from and is synonymous often with hell is death. So we believe that we're saved from death when we come into this revelation of Jesus. In 2 Timothy 1.10, it says, now it has been revealed through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. I love um, the Passion Bible paraphrases it like this. It says, Jesus, our life giver, who has dismantled death, obliterating all its effects on our lives. So this concept of recognizing that what Jesus did was not just save us from hell at the end of our lives, but he saved us from death. When we talked a couple of weeks ago about um, the doctrine of mankind and what mankind was created for, we talked about the fact that we are created for eternal life. That his original plan as he created man was, it was so that they would live forever. And it was sin that came in and, and made it so that that's, that's no, no longer the best option. <laughs> but now he says, we're restoring that, restoring us to that place because we were created for eternal life. So he's removed the sin of death, or the sting of death. He overcame it. In Genesis, he said, if you eat of this tree, you will surely die. So death was the consequence of sin coming in. In Romans, it reminds us that the wages of sin, the fitting compensation for sin is death. But that when we come into a knowledge of, of Jesus, that instead we get life. And so that's why when we present the gospel, yes, we need to present the reality of death. That, that apart from Jesus... We, we don't have life, we, eternal life. But it's more than that. It's more than just saying you won't die. It's instead you get life. That there's this exchange that takes place. We're saved from death. We're saved into life. We're all familiar with John 3.16. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. So this is part of that transaction that happens, that we're saved from death and now we have life. In 2 Thessalonians 1.9, it says these people, and who he's referring to when he says these people, previously he was talking about those who do not believe the gospel of our Lord Jesus. These people will pay the penalty of eternal destruction, which is death, ultimate death, away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. For me, having now known the Lord and walked with the Lord, the biggest aspect of, of hell to me is the separation from God. And the reality that people are living in that hell right now. That they are living, I don't, I don't, I can't even, um, when I think about living apart from God, there is, there's something in me that, that just, that, that's death. <laughs> We're meant to live in relationship with God. And this reality that those who don't believe in the gospel will pay the penalty of that separation, of that death. That, that matters for us, but it also matters as it relates to if we believe this is true, then how do I respond to those around me who aren't yet alive and who are destined to have separation from God? When we talk about what we believe, it it changes how we walk and how we act. If I really believe this, then I, it would change how I share the gospel with people because I don't want anybody to be separated from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his power because I know how good it is. That's what it means to be saved, to know the goodness of being with him. So, when we talk about salvation, it's not just about saving us from the penalty of sin, although it is. And I'm not even, it's interesting, I started looking into the concept of, of salvation and atonement, and it's really clear to me. <laughs> I was dead, and now I'm alive. And it's because somebody else paid the price for me on the cross. There's a lot of different ways that people look at that, and I don't know, maybe we'll get into that at some point. Usually you can, you can kind of tell based on, on how a church preaches the gospel what it is they believe about the cross. Was it a ransom? Was it, you know, yeah, all those things. He paid the price for us so that we didn't have to suffer the penalty for sin, but it's more than that. It's so much more than that. It's the reality that I was dead and now I'm alive. The Bible talks about the fact that we were dead in our transgressions, that we were dead in sin and now we were alive. It's not just eternal life, but it's that I don't live in death and the effects of death right now. Let's read Romans, see if I can get my train back on track. Romans 5, I think, 
Mm. Well, let's just start in verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death was spread to all men because all sinned, For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. So it's talking about, in essence, Adam and Jesus was the better Adam. (laughs) But the free gift is not like the offense, But if by one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. So what this is talking about, Romans is written to people who have no concept. It's different than when he's writing to the Jews who understand and know and spend their entire lives paying for the penalty of sin. They understand, they, they were raised knowing that because of the sin of Adam, we now are sinful and we have to pay this penalty for sin. Romans was written to a basically secular society. And so Romans does a really good job of explaining the need for salvation. It says because of the choice that Adam made, sin came into the world were born in, in bondage to that nature, to that sin. And, and Jesus came and paid the price so that we can now make a different choice. The truth is, though, that it's still a choice. So we can say, you know, there's, there's a concept that says, well, if Jesus died for all, then everybody's saved, right? Like it's all, it's all good, whether they accept it or not. But when we talked about how God values free will, that the fact that sin even came into the world was because of a choice, he still makes it about choice. He still gives us the choice whether or not we are going to honor and say, yes, what Jesus did, I'm choosing to receive that, I'm choosing to believe that and to step into that. So, There was death at work in our lives, but because of what Jesus did now, there's life at work in our lives. Let's look at Colossians 2.13. Yes, I will take that. Thank you. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, flesh, he has made you alive together with him, having forgiven your trespasses. So it's, it's this concept of taking us from death to life, not just eternal life, but we, we were living dead. We were walking dead. <laughs> and because of what he did, we're, we are now alive to who God is. We're alive to what he can, what he's done for us. So what do we believe is true of salvation? That it's necessary for all mankind, that all have sinned, 
that there's no way for us to defeat this death on our own. We're not strong enough. That it was what he did that allows for that defeat to happen. That even all the sacrifice that, that the people of God did, the, the whole concept of, of sacrifice year after year after year for sin could not take away the sins of the world. But what Jesus did, he sacrificed once for all, and it took away the sins of the world, and that it's necessary for all mankind, not just those who are living a bad life, not just those who are doing things that we're not supposed to do. I think sometimes what people think is when we're inviting people into the Christian life, we're inviting them into a set of principles that help us stop being bad and start being good. That the Bible is just a set of principles that it's like how to be good for dummies. You know what I mean? Like it's just, if we just, you know, we do these things and we're not inviting people into a set of principles. We're inviting people out of death into life. And we're inviting them into a, a way of living that life that comes completely without my ability to do it on my own. That it comes as a gift. So it's necessary for all mankind that, that it comes as a gift. Salvation comes as a gift. I can't save myself from sin. I can't make myself live in this life. And what is a little bit sad is that sometimes we come into salvation, we receive it as a gift, and then we begin to work for it. But we need to say, no, I believe that I'm saved through his grace alone and through my faith and my trust in that grace, not through anything that I can do. But for some reason, we step into this place of, okay, now I'm, I'm going to start earning it. And really, we just need to step into the life that he's giving us in that. So it's necessary for all mankind. It's given as a gift, meaning there's nothing we can do, but that it's found in Jesus alone. This is the unattractive part of Christianity to the world, to much of the world that we believe that salvation is found in Jesus alone. That there is one name that we must believe in to be saved. There's one name that was prophesied when it was spoken of Jesus that the Virgin Mary will bring forth a son and you will call his name Jesus for he will save the people from their sins. Acts 4.12 says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That is the heart of our worship on a Sunday morning. When we say, your name is like honey on my lips. This is the name above every other name. This is the name that saved me. There's no other name. There's no other place of salvation. And I think there's, there's times we can come into this reality and we forget. Or we want to make it more palatable. And we want to say, well, this is a way, but ultimately, we believe, if we believe what the word says, we believe that this is the way to life. That needs to be settled in us. 
And that what we do to receive it is simply believe that. In Acts, there's a, a story where Paul and Silas are in jail and they're worshiping. They've been flogged and now they're in jail and they're worshiping. And the, as they're worshiping, the jail shakes and the doors pop open. And the jailer is there and he sees that the doors are open and he knows he's going to be killed because the penalty for letting prisoners go is going to be death. And so he's going to kill himself. He figures that'll be a better death. And Paul and Silas are still there and they say, no, 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 stop. We're here, it's okay, you know, whatever. And his response is partially because of their, they stayed. The doors are open and they stayed there. And he goes, well, something's up here. There's something at work here. But he says to them, what must I do to be saved? And the response is, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. That was the sermon. That was the sermon in that moment. In Romans 10, it says, confess with your mouth and believe in, with your heart and you will be saved. That, that there is something to speaking out loud that I'm, I'm receiving what Jesus did as the only way to salvation. I'm receiving the life that he's giving. I'm recognizing these things as it relates to salvation that I need a savior. I need a savior that Jesus is the only one who can be that savior, that it's coming as a gift, not of anything I'm doing. I can't boast in any way in anything that I'm doing because that came through him alone and through what he does. And the other piece of salvation is that we believe that it's available to all. It's available to all. The Bible talks about that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's in Romans. That's to people who are not the chosen people. That's to people who previously, even the disciples, even the apostles thought salvation's not for them. But he said, no, salvation is for them. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. In 2 Timothy, it talks about how God desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And so I move forward in my life with other people believing that God desires all to be saved, that it's available to everyone, that there's nobody who's too messy, there's nobody that, that is too far gone, there's nobody that, that, I don't know if he can clean that up. It's available to all. The other thing that I see that's true of salvation and of that message is that it's foolishness to those who, who don't believe. That it's foolishness, that, that it's, it's such a mystery. When you hear the story, and if you were to look at it with your natural mind, you would go, well, that's ridiculous. It's foolishness to those, but it's life to us. 1 Corinthians 1, and we're going to wrap up with this. I got so excited I forgot where Corinthians was. 
Okay, 1 Corinthians 1. Verse 18, maybe. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Later on, it says, because the, the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Our uh, belief in salvation is foolishness to others that are perishing, but it's, it's life to us and it's the wisdom of God. Aren't you grateful for the wisdom yes. of God? Yes, thank you, Lord. Aren't you grateful for his way, not the way that we would do it. Amen. And this morning, I just want us to connect to that reality that we are, in Romans it talks about, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it's the power of God for our salvation. I'm not ashamed of this message. I'm not ashamed of the fact that I can say, I needed a savior. I was powerless to defeat the death at work in my life. And that Jesus is the only way to that, that's, that's what I'm stepping into. The church has got to become comfortable with the foolishness of that message and comfortable with the reality. We have to reconnect to the testimony of that. Dave was joking last week about how many times his kids have heard the story about when he first encountered God. When God offered to him this gift of salvation yeah, and I've heard that story a lot too. Not as many times as you all. But there's something in me that over this past week that said, what else is there? That, that that reality, that story of what we've been saved from should be enough to get us jumping up and down on a Sunday morning. There are times when I am worshiping from, I'm just being honest, I'm worshiping from a place of, God, what more are you going to do? I hope you're as strong as I'm singing you are. That there's, there's this place of worship that's waiting for him to do the next thing. He's done all of it. And do we get that in us? Do I understand? As I'm looking at the word this last week, I would just weep from time to time going, this thing of salvation is enough. It's more than enough, partially because it's not just eternal life. It's a different life right now. It's not, not living in the effects of sin and death, but living from this place of life. But even if it was just eternal life, it's enough. It's a hope. It's why we don't grieve as those without hope. I can't imagine facing the death of my mom without knowing that's not the end. That I have the hope of eternal life that she knew that she had passed from death to life in, as she walked on the earth. And that that just continued for her. We don't grieve as those without hope because we believe in this salvation. But it's beyond just what happens in the afterlife. It's what we're walking in right now. So I just want to close with a a time of worship and gratitude for the Lord. That we are connected to the one who defeated death. 
And to this morning, as we go ahead and stand, because we're going to engage in this today, we want to respond with the reality of salvation, or to the reality of salvation, with our gratitude. Let him stir in your heart the gratefulness, the gratitude. I felt it today. Even we were worshiping earlier, he was already doing it. But Lord, we just ask that that would come again, that revelation of all that you've done, and that it would draw praise from our lips, that there would be a gratitude that comes when we recognize and remember the fullness of salvation. Thank you for listening to this week's message. To learn more about us, please visit livingwatersmn.org. Thank you.